Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. I have us on the fourth chapter of Shemot, really ready to start uh, verse 18, the first verse of the sixth Aliyah of Parshat Shemot. But I want to go back to one and a half things. And if there are other lingering things people want to go back to, that's fine as well. So um, just to remind us where we are, we're at the very end, essentially, of the interaction between God and Moshe at the burning bush. It's been happening for a long time. They believe in the only two characters, the only people speaking in the Torah for many verses. And since we do this class very slowly, we've been with them for a long time. And I got to say, it's been kind of nice, right? It's nice to linger in these scenes. If it's we, we, every once in a while, we mention this. It's just such a different experience than hearing the laning. And I love hearing the laning. And I love hearing the laning even, you know, when, when it's sections of the Torah that happen to know really well and sections that I've spent less time on. I just love hearing the Torah being read. But it's what a different experience to really um, stay in a scene and, and pick it apart for all of its possibilities. Um, so the last two verses we read, verses 16 or 17, in chapter four, uh, that Aaron will speak on your behalf to the people, and uh, um, he will be for you as a mouth, and you will be to him as an Elohim. I'll untranslate it for a second. And this um, staff, take in your hand, um, and with it, you shall do all of the signs that we've been discussing. Um, and I think we went through all of the Rashi and all of that, including the Rashi and the word Lelohim, where Rashi trying to make sense of what it means when God said, God, Elohim, says to Moshe that uh, your role vis-a-vis Aaron will be an Elohim. Rab, uh, Rashi says, Lerav Ulasar. So the first thing that Rashi does is take it out of the realm of divinity. Um, which is interesting that God has a concept of divinity that is not divine, right? In Rashi's imagination, God uses the name or one of the names of God to mean something other than God, which is just a fascinating thing. And, and it's particularly fascinating if you jump out to the meta level, our text about God and the holy commentaries on it have God referring to a God concept, D, you know, uh, we, we, taken with some of its divinity taken out. Um, I wanted to show you, because I don't think it was directly in the Rashi, um, that uh, one of the, if you're, and it's in a, several different versions of the Rashi we have in front of us, some of them footnote to um, a place elsewhere in the Torah where Rashi gives a little bit more of an explanation of what, of why it's, it's so easy for him to translate Elohim to a word that doesn't mean God. So I want to show uh, one of them to you. Um, Okay, so let's go all the way back to the sixth chapter of Breshit, verse two. Let's start with the verse one. These are some really interesting and odd verses that don't get a whole lot of attention because they're not part of our major story, as it were. Um, Adam, or Adam, humanity began, Hechel is like Hitchil, Larov al Pnei 
La rove seems to be a intransitive verb here, meaning to become rav, to be to increase. Although we would use in modern Hebrew la rove more as a not as an infinitive verb, but um, but referring to, to towards the many or to the many, or ha, or happening something happening in multiple across the face of the earth. Uvanot yildulehem, daughters were born to them. I don't want to linger on this, although we could, um, but I want to just set up basically the next line in Rashi. In the sixth chapter of Reshit, we have a reference to the sons of the Elohim. And we don't know what to do with it. But the sons of the Elohim saw at Benot Hadam all those daughters of women. So are we talking here about some, you know, like, like in Greek mythology where there is... Um, Intimacy and production of offspring in between fully human and semi-divine beings? We don't know. Is this a relic of some uh, ancient Canaanite mythology where that cross-fertilization um, happened? We don't know. Or is this what God wants to understand about how humanity propagate on the earth? Ki tovot for they were beautiful, or tov. Vayikhulehem nashim, they, the Bnei Elohim, took them, the women, as wives, we call Asher Baharu, from all that they chose, meaning whatever they wanted to take, they took. Look what Rashi says on that. Beneha Elohim, Beneha Sarim Bahashoftim, the sons of princes and rulers. You could ask yourselves the question on the Rashi, well, what princes and rulers? We're talking about like the, the Ur stages of humanity according to the Torah. And we're saying that. Like, it, it, wouldn't those princes and rulers be included in the Adana, Adam who are having these daughters? It's a little bit of a of a of a vicious little circle here. Davar Acher Bnei Elohim. Another way of reading it is, who are the sons of Elohim? Heim Hasarim Haochim B'Shlichuto Shel Makom. These were the Sarim. Here, Sar does not mean a minister. Sar means an angel, an angelic being, who were doing on, on local shlichut they were sent to local places on earth to represent some angelic or divine presence afhem hayu mit arbim behem they also these half divine beings angels intermingled lehit arev to become mingled with and here become mingled with means to commingle sexually and reproductively and now rashi says a klal a general principle that he's clearly referring to or relying on in our verse, a whole book of the Torah later. Kol Elohim Shibamikra Lashon Marut. Every reference of God, uh, every reference of Elohim in the Torah comes with it the language of Marut. This is not Marut like bitterness, but Marut meaning mastery, right? Just pause right here. What's very strange about that line as a klal? Kol Elohim Shibamikra Lashon Marut. Oops, where'd it go? What's strange about that as, a, as, a, as an overarching principle? Well, I find it strange. Well, Sometimes uh, Elohim means God. Yeah. Sometimes Elohim means Elohim. Unless what Rashi is saying here is that every time the word Elohim appears in the Torah, it has to do with authority, whether it's a human being of particular authority or, a, or we're introducing God here in the scene as the God of authority. And this verse will prove it. What's the verse that he uses? Our verse. And you, 
Moshe will be to Aaron as an Elohim. Shmot four, the fourth chapter Shmot. Re'ei netaticha Elohim. He also uh, gives us a um, a verse uh, later on, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, months, or years, depending on how long it takes. So I wanted to show this to you that when when Rashi, without a whole lot of explanation, renders Elohim as having to do with mastery or being in charge and not anything divine, he's going leshitato according to his own methodology. He just doesn't quote himself. Uh, but thank God for the annotators who remember that a whole book ago, Rashi had said this about Elohim. So I wanted to point that out to you. Uh, Norm, your hand, Norm or Rachel, your hand was up a while ago. Um, I felt that this is not the only name of God that we use in other ways. Makom is an answer that pops into my mind. Another name of God that is used in non-divine ways. The only name of God I think that we only use to describe him is yod heh vav Right, which we never um, articulate, right? Even the way we pronounce yod heh vav Adonai, is a word that is used in other forms, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, ha- I have to think about that if that's true for every other way we refer to God, right? Sure, like Tzur, you know, you know Tzur Yisrael, God is not the only thing referred to as rock, but God is also referred to as rock. Um, but Elohim etymologically seems to be a word that even before it was, a- it was attached to our God in the Torah had um, a godlike quality to it, right? El. El is also a, a word in biblical Hebrew for God, for gods, right? Um, so it's interesting that even that word, which doesn't mean rock or place and is, a, and is applied metaphorically to what God can mean in our lives, but actually meant God, even that word can sometimes not mean God. Uh, Diane, Larry. Larry and then... So... <clears throat> Not to dwell too long. I'm, first of all, I'm surprised about Rashi, by Rashi's comment <clears throat> because he doesn't usually, I don't think, um, he's not so open to sort of a biblical criticism point, uh, per- perspective. But I think here this, is, this gets back to this whole <clears throat> constraint that we have in part by speaking English and not by speaking Hebrew and by talking about the name of God, the references to God, the concept of God, and just the fact that in English we use the word God, which is such an all-encompassing word. If we were speaking Hebrew, we would differentiate between Hashem, yud heh vav probably wouldn't pronounce it, but if we did pronounce it, El, and all the other references, and we don't. And because we don't, it trains our brain, I think, to not read the text the way in which well, I would argue it was probably viewed early on. And if you try to, without abandoning your monotheism, if you try to read it like maybe an ancient Greek or Roman would read it and understand the references to God or Elohim gods and the concept and the fact that you had a lot of different gods, so you'd have Zeus and this one and that one, etc., we might better understand sometimes the text and the stories. I think it's I a think really helpful point, Gary. And for some, and for reason, some reason, when you're, when you're I, did, I hear, I hear everyone. Oh, it's Diane's fault. We know why. We're going to change it right now. It's because Diane, for her teaching, puts it on original sound. Just changed it. Sorry. Okay. okay. Um, just to be safe, I'm going to mute you also while I'm responding. I think it's a really helpful point, and we can't, we can't say it often enough. We're talking about ancient, heady, important things 
so with such incredible obstacles. One of the obstacles is, of course, it's all guesswork unless you have perfect faith as to where this comes from and its connection to, to, to the cosmos. Another obstacle is no matter how good we are at language, it's impossible to really understand what any of these words meant to them then, which we've talked about all the time. And I, I really appreciate your focusing, Larry, on the obstacle of just the English word, English problem itself of using three letters to denote something so unfathomably mysterious that our culture uses in all sorts of different ways. And, and we don't always know what the other person or even we ourselves mean by it when we say it. I'm reading a fascinating book right now, which is, um, it's unsettling. I like reading unsettling books. I like reading, um, I like leaving my echo chamber and instead of reading things that reinforce that which I already think and know, reading things that push me. So I'm reading um, a lot of Sam Harris's work right now. Sam Harris, if you know the name, he's a, a well-known neuro, um, neuroscientist and philosopher that um, uh, does a lot of thinking on meditation and mindfulness. He has a meditation app that I use occasionally. Um, and he's an atheist and he's a well-known atheist. And he kind of became um, popular in the late 90s, early 2000s when atheist literature became really significant in American culture, Hitchens and um, Dawkins. Um, I find Harris more palatable, but, but his ideas are no less um, challenging. Like he, he really believes that religion is farcical and he believes that moderate religion, even if in, like the religions that, that I imagine all of us observe, even if in our own way, our religion is not dangerous in the sense that we're willing to kill or die for it, the way sometimes happens, often happens, according to him, throughout history on the uh, on the fringes and the non-fringes of religion, he thinks that moderate religion is dangerous because we end up being a, a cover for the absolutism within religion, which cannot be critiqued because religion is, you know, it's everyone says hands off to religion, not allowed to critique religion. Anyway, why do I bring this to you right now? He talks about the way in which the word God is used in American society, and we just accept it. We accept it because of momentum. We accept it because of the, the, the pressures that are still being brought to bear um, based on how the country was founded. But he says, if you want to make yourself feel really uncomfortable, the next time you hear the president referring to in God we trust or talking about may God have mercy on, on, on the fallen soldiers, just replace god there with apollo or zeus and you'll realize potentially what they might think of our language and our harnessing of that word god a thousand years from now right may 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 may, may zeus have mercy on the souls of the soldiers we would laugh at that but we don't laugh at at god particularly those of us who have god or a con god concept in our lives right and i'm not trying to veer into a uh, you know, fully theological hour here. Not anything wrong with that, but part of that is the part of that is the concept of God in the world, particularly for those who don't believe in it or who struggle to believe in it. And part of it is the word, right? The English word, which is the only word we really have. You know, sometimes you talk about the divine or 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 a theological idea, but it's very very hard to talk about God, and particularly to talk about it in English when we're trying to dissect the word Elohim. And Rashi's trying to tell us, and he might be right and he might be wrong, that back then in the time of the Torah, the word Elohim meant Elohim and also didn't mean Elohim. Um, or it meant, or the reason why the word Elohim meant Elohim, meant God, is because there was something um, 
deeper in the construction of the word that had to do with authority. And therefore, it's the part of God that has authority, but authority doesn't only adhere to the God concept, right? And that goes back to what Norm says, right? Like rock refers to a way in which, you know, God is a prudential rock for us, but that's not the only way the word rock is used in society. And same thing with the authority built into the real name. So all of that is an explication or deepening of a two-word Rashi saying, what does Elohim mean here? Rav or Sar. Barry, you've been very patient. Go ahead. Well, there's not much I can add to uh, this. This is very comprehensive. Um, uh, but this, we've had this discussion before that uh, Elohim is a plural word referring to a singular. And uh, so incorporating all the discussion we had historically, anthropologically, uh, it encompasses all the gods that people had in front of them into one word. So uh, this is this is one one gods of all. Great. That's a really helpful comment. And it's actually, in some ways, accidentally helpful in the sense that when Elohim started to mean like a, a synonym for Adonai, for God, they could not have fathomed 21st century America. But I think what you're what you're implying, and even if you're not you're implying, I'm gonna extract from it, is that when we Americans say the word God, it actually has built within it a multiplicity of the gods that people pray to in their lives, right? But we only have one English word for it, right? Is on some level, does the Methodist pray to the same God that the Catholic does? It depends on what you mean by the, by the question. If, if you're just replacing, right? Um, if that God actually exists, then yes, because it's, it, it's the God who, you know, bore, you know, contributed to the birth of Jesus and is the, and is, and, and is, is the actual being, even if they get to it through different um, rituals. But if that God doesn't exist on a, on a level of reality in the way that some true believers believe, then they're actually praying to very different gods because the God that they're praying to is the construction of all of their rituals and narratives. And if they don't align them, they're not the same God, but they use the same word to attach to it. So even the English word God is in some ways Elohim. And I love the way you said it, um, Barry. God in English is almost like saying gods um, unified into one, but one word, not one concept. Joel. I, would, I would just add that the, the, uh, the, the author of the Torah, it, it, the world began with Elohim. So the, 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 the author created the word yeah. to encompass uh, all gods that were believed in. The, the, it, God created this. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Joel and Norm and Rachel. Yeah. You, were, you mentioned you, you, you often say and other people often say, you know, what did these words mean to them at the time? Um, but if you believe that it was created by an all-knowing being, there's no reason to believe that he wasn't talking to across generations. Mm. I'm, I know this artist who told me a story that she was working on a piece and she started working on it outside and then the weather got bad or the, it got dark, so she moved it inside and then she did a little bit in her studio and a little bit in her house. And when it was finished, she said it changed. When the when the when the light changed, the painting changed. So there's no reason to think that he was only talking to one generation. Great, wonderful comment. Thank you for that, Joel. Norm, Rachel. I just want to suggest that even within the Jewish community, um, it, even though 
presumably all pray to the one God, um, if we do it all, um, that our understanding of God varies a lot even among us, and how much the more so between Methodists and Catholics, it's their understanding of God that changes, I think, much more than God, God's self, um, whether by a Muslim or one kind of Jew or another kind of Jew or one of the umpteen kinds of Christians. Great. And you could push it further. Not only does that God concept change from sect to sect, it changes from within a person based on the, the, the circumstances of that person's reality, right? Yeah. One could really make the claim, depending on one's theological stance, that every time I say Baruch Atah Adoshem, I'm addressing a different God because I'm actually constructing a God concept. Again, unless, unless God qua God exists in some fixed way, which, of course, is a possible theology, right? But if we believe that we are partners in the ongoing construction of the God concept, then every time I say Baruch Hashem, I, I am, I, a creator of God, as it were, as I tell that story, I'm, I'm creating a God, I'm using the same name, but based on what I imagine God is in that moment and what prayer could accomplish, I'm actually creating something in the cosmos, uh, and that's a frightening idea to some in the religious world who want find great um, great comfort in there being a singularity up there to which we respond. But it's actually not even primarily the Jewish way of understanding God. Um, and I think that sometimes the, um, the the absolutists actually are flattening a tr- a, 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 tremend- a tremendously undulating notion of God that our ancestors were, um, were connected to and taught about. And in some ways, um, even though we, the 21st century, may vacillate in our faith uh, in a way that the Rambam might not have understood or Rabbi Kivan might not have understood, our notion of something beyond a single commanding force who looks like a, a man and speaks with words is probably more akin to what our ancestors thought about than what the Haredim um, uh, think that God is now. Uh, Rebecca, your hand was up and now it's down. Want to bring it up again? I just wanted to say that it kind of sounds like a mathematical statement that God exists if and only if the limits of God from every religion are the same or identical. You know, it's almost like it has to be an absolute um agreement for more mathematical directions great great thank you for that um i just i was just also texting someone who said that that this week's class was not on the weekend at glance because originally i was supposed to be away this week so that i think they're there's someone who wasn't sure if the class was happening because they properly trust the emails that we send out and i forgot to correct it once i was not going to be away this week so someone will be joining us hopefully in a minute we got in through week at a glance this this week's week in a glance. This week, just yeah, it was this Monday. All right, someone just texted me saying it wasn't there. Okay, um, okay, that was um, that was going to be a five minute digression that became twenty five minutes, which is fine. Uh, but let's now, uh, unless there are any further um, uh, questions, let's jump into the sixth aliyah of Parshat Shmot. This is a big deal. We're 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 moving through. Um, 
So chapter four, verse 18. Uh, Joanna, do you want to read verse 18? Sure. Vayelech Moshe, Vayashov el Yeter Chotno, Vayomer lo, Elchana, Veashuva el Achai, Asher be Mitraim, Vere haodam Chaim, Vayomer Yitro le Moshe, Lech le Shalom. So, Moses went and returned to Yeter, it says here, Yitro, his father in law, and he said to him, um, please, I will go and I will return to um, my brothers in Egypt um, and I will see if they are still alive. And Yitro said to Moshe, go in peace. Great, great. N- n- nothing to, uh, uh, to correct or improve upon that translation. So let's go straight to questions one would have on the verse, right? You are Rashi. You're reading this presumably for the first time-ish. What jumps out at you as, as begging a question? Diane, Larry? So I'm immediately going to disagree with Rashi. Okay. The first, uh, uh, I have Rashi. a number of things. I'll be, I'll be quick, though. Try to be quick. Wait, which, um, which Rashi are you going to disagree with? We haven't read Rashi yet. I know we haven't, but I looked ahead. Oh. <clears throat> so I, I won't talk about Rashi. So the first thing I'm going to say is, wow, this is a really strange verse with, uh, not strange verse so much, but has a lot of um, structure. So if I were to, um, punctuated with trope, I would put the etnachta. I'd have several etnachtas. <laughs> I'd have a break. After, I'd have a break where there is that pasik. Pasik, I think it is the, the vertical line. Yeah. So Moses went. So so Moses went and returned, which I want to draw your attention to. Um, the went and returned, and then he went to Yitro. His father-in-law, and there's a whole issue about how many different names. It's not Yitro, it's, it's Yeter. So this guy's got a lot of different names we know. Um, and said to him, pause. That's be my, one of my first break. And then he says, I'll go and return. I, I, I'll go, please, and return. So we got the same thing, the, the, the Holech V'yashav um, um, construction again. To my brothers who are in Mitzrayim, comma, and I'll see, I don't know the word Odam, but I'll see their condition. Odam just to, is, is the word Ode declined, right? Ah. Like, like Ode, 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 um, ah. Odam. Like we wouldn't do that in English, but, but their ongoingness. Are they ongoingness? Are they, is their ongoingness alive? The Ode, there, is there moreness alive? So it's, it's Ode declined with the they ending. And then we've got the etnachta at the chayim. We'll see how they're how they're fa- how they're faring or how is going their life. Uh, and then we got the last the last verse, which is which is no problem. But we've got this break between v'yelech Moshe v'yashav, which I think is interesting, and I think there's got to be some reason for it. But then we've got and Rick maybe coming on what I think is a really strange trope combination. We got a merchat amapach pachta. Vayomer lo alcha, and then we got a revia, where normally I would expect to be a zakev katon, and I don't understand that at all. So it seems to me that the the way the trope are are, are working breaks up this this verse kind of differently than I would expect. Yeah, great, Leah. Let me just comment on some of what you brought up because you brought up some great things. Um, 
the psyche is something that we don't spend a lot of time on this class, even when 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 Rick is giving us a trust drop. I want a, a trust drop. Did I say trust drop? That was a funny um, exchange of syllables. Um, uh, so if you look after the third word in Hebrew, you have a vertical line. It's called a psyche. Psyche means like pasak, like a stop. Again, we don't know exactly why it's there. It's in the category of halachala Moshe Sinai. It's, it's been part of the text as long as we've had it from Sinai. Um, some laners are very precise and they do like a quarter pause just of silence. So they would rate, uh, lane it as Vayelech Moshe Vayashov Sometimes a psik is in a place you'd expect it. Ah, oh, well, obviously, even though this, even though we haven't gotten to the Etnachta half of the verse, this is a good place for a pause. Sometimes the psik itself is in a category of Zeomer Darsheni. This psik is asking to be drashed out because we're, the psik is between the verb and the indirect object, right? And and he returned to Yetir, his father-in-law. Right. So what's happening in between the verb telling us that he's returning and then finishing off the phrase. Right. So that's a very interesting seek. I'd love to hear people think uh, thinking about it. I really appreciate, Larry, you are pointing out that we've got in, in in twice in the first half of the verse, if you are defining half as everything up until the etnachta, except, except that in this case, the etnachta, the um, wishbone, is about three quarters or, or four-fifths of the way through the verse. So it's a very long first half of the verse, a very short second half of the verse. But twice within the first half of the verse, we have a doubling of a verb of going and returning. Vayelech Moshe Vayashov, Moshe went and returned. And then he's got, in his own voice, El Chanav Ashuva, I will go and I will return. So that's also, again, just interesting. It, a past tense or a perfect verb um, of going and returning, and then him saying, I'm going to go and return, are both needed there. Um, let's just highlight for a second, you, you jumped over this, Larry, a little bit, the na there. We've had a lot of na's in, in the scene. Na is this very hard to translate word that suggests entreaty, suggests a softening of request. But here he's saying it to himself. like. Normally the na is like ana elna rafana la. God said Moshe says to God, please God, I turn to God, heal her. You know, it's it's turning a demand into a plea. But what does it mean when you're saying it about oneself? May I please go? Or I'm gonna go, please. Well, who's the please addressed to? So maybe it makes us rethink what the na is. Is it is it is it a please or is it something else? Um so let me, so, right. And you also pointed out that even in this verse, we've got two names of the father-in-law. In the second half of the verse, we have Yitro. In the first half of the verse, we have Yetir, clearly the same person. Is this a meter thing, right? Is this that sometimes the word is just shortened? Um, uh, or is this, as Rashi's going to tell us, we have lots of names. So lots of stuff in this verse, even though there's no hard vocabulary. And a lot of people have thoughts on it. So this is going to take us a long time, which is wonderful. Elon. So other than the two names for Jethro, the thing that strikes me the most is why does Moses not tell Jethro the the real reason for him going to Egypt? The real reason is God spoke to him, told him to go to Egypt and to speak to Pharaoh. But Moses doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to Egypt to see whether uh, my brethren are alive or if you don't want to interpret it exactly that way, how they're doing there's no there's no indication prior to that 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 is the reason 
is there is there a reason that he can't level with uh, Jethro? Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, question slash insight that it's almost as if the majority of what just transpired in the last chapter and a half by the burning bush is not present in Moshe's mind, or at least in terms of what he's communicating to Jethro. And you could, you could ask a question on that question, Elon, which is that, is, does he really not know whether his brothers are Chaim? Because if he doesn't know that, is he suggesting that God is telling him a tall tale? So is there some... Is there some tactical reason he's giving that as the explanation to Jethro? He knows exactly the situation. He just spent a chapter and a half dealing with it, right? Ha'odam chayim, the erea ha'odam chayim. Maybe in a moment we can look at different translations of that, but it's very hard to understand that anything other than I need to go see if they're still alive and, and therefore um, exodusable, right? Tova. Um, I was initially going to comment on on what uh, Larry commented about, about the... Uh... Vayelik, uh, Vayashav, uh, but as that conversation is developed, uh, I noticed what I find very interesting. We have those two pairings you already mentioned of go and return, but then at the end we have Vayomer Yitro le Moshe, Lake le Shalom, and it's just go, go in peace, not go and return in peace or go in peace and return in peace, but just go in peace, yeah. which I don't know quite how to take perhaps reflecting some kind of prophetic knowledge on the part of Yitro himself that, in fact, this is what you're intended to do and you will not be returning. Uh, but it, it seems striking when we have those previous pairs. Even more so when you just cheat ahead to begin the next verse, when God now pipes in and God says to Moshe, Lech shuv. So God, ah. re- God repeats the, the doubling of okay. go and return. Right. Whereas okay. Yitro is just saying go, right? right? So that either means something or nothing. Right. <laughs> um, great. Uh, Joanna? Um, a few things. So um, the um, are my brothers alive are taking me to what's coming up in Parshat HaShavua, which is when the brothers finally re- reveal themselves to Joseph and then or when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and, you know, looks to them and says, is my father still alive? Now, if Joseph had been paying attention, he would know that the brothers had been referencing their father all along. The father's still alive. So there's something very funny about like what you know, but you need to have confirmed and also um, we've been discussing the past um, number of weeks references back into the Brayshit stories and, and, you know, were they aware of them? So I think there's a really interesting play there. Um, in terms of also the doublings, I'm also fascinated as we read through Torah, every time like we're reminded of a relationship that we already know. So among all the doublings in this verse, why do we need to be told that Yitro was Moses's father-in-law? Like, that's been established already. You talk about Yitro, we know who you're talking about. And um, also intriguing in terms of all the doublings, the um, the root show of return by Yasho really stands out because for a perfect parallelism in this verse, it would have been great if um, Yitro ended by saying, Lech shov shalom, and there's no shov in Yitro's um, remarks back to, to Moshe, which really, to me, makes the, the returning and what is all that about in the first part of the verse stand out. Uh, all, all great stuff, Joanna. Thank you for that. Um, 
the, the question of why we need to be reminded that Yitro is Moshe's chotein is interesting. We, we have that all the time and it's a lot of grist for Midrash, right? We, you know, we know whether it's why we need to know that Miriam is, is um, Moshe's sister in this particular situation um, is really interesting. Um, since you mentioned that word chotno, just a little bit of a digression. If you look at the word chotno there, um, uh, it's the sixth word of the verse. Underneath the chet, there's a small vertical line. I don't know if we ever paid much attention to that diacritical mark. That's called a meteg. The meteg in a word does the same thing that a psik does in a verse. It's a partial pause in a place where you wouldn't normally pause. Like I, I know very few laners even try to make sense of this, but it's basically saying that the 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 stress on the word on the word is where the trup is, the no, but if you want to be really precise, you don't pronounce it as chotno, but chotno. Like there's that the meteg says there's a eighth pause, right? In this word, why we don't know, and not every word has it. Um, but sometimes it has it when, when you a word is asking to be stressed in a place beyond the main stress, the main the main stressed syllable. Um, great. Uh, oh, and I and I love your connection, Joanna, to Haodabichai, right? So uh, because it does speak to the interbook lyricism of the book, which suggests any number of things, right? We always have to like hedge our bets here. It suggests that a singular divine author was a true to um, methodology, or it speaks to the fact that when certain verses were being constructed, there was a um, a communal awareness of the sound and the song of earlier strands of the story. And so it's, it, it's, it's not the only way that those sentences can be constructed. So it seems intentional to be evocative of the last major reunion, which you're right, is this week, Parshat Miketz. Great. Uh, Rebecca, and then Barry, and then Sue, and then Renee. I had a, a couple of thoughts. Um, the thing that really stands out to me is that um, nowhere leading up to here was uh, Moshe told to go back to Yitro. Why does he even, I mean, he's being told to go back to Egypt. Why does he go there? Mm -hmm. He hasn't been told to go get his stuff or anything. So that kind of stood out to me. Um, the other thought is that um, related to what Larry and you discussed about the, um, the psyche, and that is that um, Vayeshev or Vayashov, it may be that there's, there's a sort of an interpretation here that there is a certain amount that, of time that passed. So that Moshe returned and sat rather than returned. And the uh, psik is sort of highlighting that this is not, that this is the use of the word not as a return, but as settled down again for a few days or months or years because we don't really know how long it took. So that uh, might be related to that, that piece of, uh, of that line there. I love that, Rebecca. Um, the, the root Shav and Yashav are cousins, right? Um, and they're, they're neither interchangeable nor completely set apart from each other. So it's properly translated that Vayashov is from the root Shav meaning to return, but it's definitely evocative of Yeshuv, a settling. And even though, in even a settling 
it's different than a sitting, right? The, the common mistake halachically and Sukkot, leishev basukah does not mean to sit in the sukkah, such that in order to fulfill the mitzvah, you have to sit. Leishev there means to do yeshuv, to settle in a sukkah. And how do you settle in a sukkah? By showing that you're living there by taking a drink. So when I, when I lead Kiddush in the sukkah, um, there, there's also a custom to sit when you do kit when you do kiddush, but you don't have to. Just by eating something in the sukkah, you're fulfilling leishev basukkah. It's not lashevet to sit, but leishev to settle. So these are words that are related to each other, and I'm really uh, moved by that by by that psik suggesting that there was a, a settling that there was a that even though Moshe is being told it's an emergency, <laughs> um, by God he goes by Yelach Moshe Vayashu. And he, he hangs out with his, with his father-in-law until it becomes the right time to mention what's happening next. Wonderful. Barry. Okay. Uh, two things. Uh, first, it, it, this, it begins with um, uh, Yelech and it ends with Lech. So the, the, it, it, it begins with a going and ends with a going. Um, as the book ended. Now, the, 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 I, I want to look at this uh, experientially. Um, at the burning bush and all the subsequent discussions we've had, Moshe is in in an ultra super space with, with God. I mean, he's 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 not in a normal world space environment um, talking to God all this time. Um, so the, the the first use of Yashov, it, um, it, it, he 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 leaves. Okay, and, and now there's um, experiencing how, do, how does it feel to, to be popped out of that space and popped back into reality. Uh, he's got sheep that he's been herding uh, before this all began. Uh, the, the sheep belong to his father-in-law. So he, he's popped back into this, this space where he belongs to his father-in-law. Um, and, and also, it's not his people. It, it's his father-in-law, not his people. And, and so that experientially, he, he has to go through this process first. Mm-hmm. And, and then Yitro then sends him forward. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Sue and then Renee. Um, I find myself super interested in this seek. Um, and um, what I'm thinking about is that it's a Vayasha Vayashov and with this seek because you know the 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 later on when when Moshe goes into the oil moed and comes or goes up to the mountain and comes down he looks in, he looks different he is all aglow and you know he he clearly commands an entirely different response from the kahal and so it seems like the return with the psik, it's like, well, yeah, he returned, but maybe he wasn't exactly the same as before he met met up with God. Mm-hmm. And then we get, and then we get fascinatingly get El Yeter Hono who is who he came back to, but Yeter is not Itro, it's Yeter. And Yeter, um, you have to say Hono because it can just be that what was left of him came back or Yitro saw that what was there wasn't the same. And Yeter saw the remain. He, he saw that there was something else. And that's why Yeter can say, yeah, go, but whether or not he's coming back, who knows, because there's something entirely different. 
in in this moment and i think it's in this in the psique yeah that psique is is really catching people's attention um there's another rashi rashi is about to tell us we get to it this week or next week um the notion of the many names of yitro there's another rashi that actually goes into the etymology of it as to as to why yitro is called yitro in different places and that does play with um the meaning of yetro okay. meaning extra mm-hmm. yoter right okay. um and and when it's in this form yeter does even more sound like a hebrew word that he returned to to the the extra or the remaining part of of his father-in-law um or his life or or, or his life yeah um the psik is a rare thing i was just flipping while you were talking i think the last psik was after in the eighth verse of chapter three, if you look, and, and this, this is going to mean nothing, but it's just interesting to, to compare it. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think that you can like just create an archipelago drash of all the psiks in the Torah, but just as a way of pointing out, it's been a long time ago, unless I missed one. The last psik was chapter three, verse eight, right at the beginning of the bush of the scene that's about to end, by the way, we're at the very beginning of the burning bush. And God says, Va'ered, I will go down Lahatsilo to um, to rescue him. The him here is the people, the the Am Psik. I will go out down and rescue him. Miad Mitzrayim from from the hand of Egypt will halatomina aratzahi and to bring him up, it up the people up from that land. So once you start being Psik aware, it's hard not to be Psik aware and wonder what's happening in that pause, right? Um, from what I know even though sometimes laners uh, pause there, there's not a whole lot of classic midrash on the, that's based on the psyche. Like I, I, I can't even think of one situation where the engine for a midrash and midrash rabba is the presence or absence of it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not um, present for us to be playful with. Um, Renee and then Joanna. Okay, so some of the stuff that I was going to say has already been said, but um, two other things are interesting is that Moshe doesn't say anything to Yitro about what happened to him with uh, earlier in the in the story with God and him being on the mountain. He doesn't mention any of that, which is kind of interesting. Which which meaning by the burning bush? Yeah, yeah. Right. Back in Bray Sheet, and also it's interesting that Everett Fox doesn't use the word uh, "please let me go," but he says "pray let me go." And I just wonder if that's a different kind of connotation even than the please. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to look at some of the, the translation of this verse. You know, pr- pray in English is another word that we mean, but there's no sense that every person who says the word means the same thing. And sometimes mm-hmm. pray is a verb. And sometimes pray is like, you know, if you think of the way old poetry or Shakespearean or later than Shakespearean English might be like, you know, you know, pray, Lord, may I come into mm-hmm. your presence, right? It's almost like, it's almost as if pray, saying the word pray isn't of itself a prayer, a plea, a request, right? And, it, and in Saperstein, it, it, the plea, even though it uses the please, it sounds like that kind of request. He says, let me go, please. Let me go, comma, please, comma. Yeah, right, because... The, the translations are trying to deal with the na there. Remember, I, I raised the question of what does it mean to mm-hmm. add a na in a, when you're addressing your own activity, 
right? He's not asking Pietro for permission, but the translations render it as if he's saying, as if the word Elcha, I will go, is, is in and of itself a request. May I go? May, may I leave? You know, you know can, you, can you watch the kids for a bit, right? May I go? Um, which is not the only way to understand the na. The Everett Fox on the full, full verse, because we were going to look at some translations, particularly of the Ha'odam Chaim, um, is Moshe went and returned, both verbs are re- presented, to Yitro, his father-in-law. So Everett Fox translates it, not as Yeter, but Yitro, and said to him, uh, pray, let me go and return. So both verbs are there. To my brothers that are in Egypt, that I may see whether they are still alive. A lot of English words, only three Hebrew words. Yitro said to Moshe, go in peace. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing some other translations, particularly if there's anyone that does not render Ha'udam Chaim about being alive. Um, and if any of them combines the verbs that, so that doesn't, doesn't have a different verb in English for the El Eilech and the Ashuv. Because uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about the significance of those two verbs, Joanna. Um, you know, as happens, you know, as you're looking at the text, your eye kind of jumps ahead a little bit. And um, as I looked at the next verse, where God is once again talking to Moshe, in my initial read of it, I was like, "This verse is out of place. This belongs at the end of the burning bush episode," and then it would read more clearly. Moses goes to his father-in-law and then he gathers his things and he leaves like that interjection of God speaking again, seems out of place. But now, um, and what also jumped up at me was that um, God spoke to Moshe and Midian, like, why do we need to highlight that? And, um, but now it works very nicely, I think, with the playing of the meaning of um, Vayashov and what root are we at and what does it mean? Because it works very well if Moses kind of settled and lingered there because God is basically saying to him now in this verse, what are you doing here? Get up. Why are you still in Midian? Get up, go. So I just wanted to point out that I thought that that all of a sudden something that didn't make sense made sense as a result of something someone said. Great. So that that's that's um, highlighting Rebecca's comment before about the the seek and, and and lingering, because as you know, um, I know Larry likes to sometimes rearrange or imagine a rearranged version of a of a verse or where the punctuation is. It seems on the shot level before you just said what you said, Joanna, that verse nineteen should come before verse eighteen, right? We'll we'll read verse nineteen more closely next week. God said to Moses. Um, in Midian, if you take the Midian part out, unless you imagine that the is Midian different than where the burning bush was, or is the burning bush within Midian? Go to go back to um, Egypt because it, it's safe now. Well, shouldn't that be the end of the burning bush scene? Um, so why is it placed after Moshe goes back um, and speaks to Yitro? Maybe it he goes back and he's considering the offer. Right? Um, the la- it, it doesn't. The, the burning bush scene doesn't end with Moshe basically saying, I'm packing my bags now. The last thing he says is, you know, shalach biad tishlach, send who you want to send Moshe, God, meaning I, I basically accept the job, but it's not clear. Then he goes back and hangs out with his father-in-law's family. Um, so maybe that that Vayashov seek is, is the linchpin. Norm? I don't think he goes to hang out. Um, I think that we're maybe misunderstanding go and return. 
Um, yesterday, Rachel went to shul, and then she returned to here. And that's a common way we use these words. But in this case, go and return, I think, is the same. Remember, when this conversation started, Moshe wasn't simply on a hike. He was herding a flock. <laughs> Good. So he has this flock with him. He's not going to take the flock of sheep to, or goats or whatever they are to Egypt. He's going to return them where they belong. He's going to explain, I can't shepherd for you tomorrow because I'm going off to Egypt. Even if he's not asking for permission and a blessing, he's got to inform his employer or, or somebody to take care of the sheep. And if I had a father-in-law Midian and I was about to go off to Egypt with or without his daughter, my wife, I wouldn't do it without informing my in-laws and at probably asking for their blessing on the entire endeavor. So when it says he went and returned, it's he went and returned. Where did he go and return to? He left <coughs> from Harsinai. He returned to his father-in-law where he would be able to leave the flocks and whatever else he was going to leave and bring with him whatever he was going to bring. And then we can go on with him explaining what he's doing or planning to do or wants to do. And he gets Jethro's permission. I think it's completely reasonable that it's, that it's understood just that way. Great. I love that you brought back the context of what he was doing before God spoke to him from a bush. He was working for his father-in-law. That's great. So he has to go back. Very helpful comment. Diane Larry? You asked about translations. Both Alter and um, Arnie Kaplan um, uh, have the same, the same translation, which is um, to see if, if they are still alive. But Arya Kaplan does something quite interesting, which I think maybe helps to explain um, and confirm some of the comments made about the um, uh, about the Yelech um, V'Yashov. Uh, he says he translates the um, the second part, um, and he said to to his father-in-law um, Yeter, he said, "I would like to leave and return to my people in Egypt." So he doesn't say please; he says, "I would like to," which is a polite way of saying the same thing. Yeah. But listen to, I'd like to leave and return to my people in Egypt. So it's separating the, 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 the holech is going or leaving. I know those are different verbs, but going or leaving. And then the yeshav is where you're going to. So yeah. it's completely separating those, those two things. He's just saying to his father-in-law, I got to go. Goodbye. He's saying, I got to go and I'm returning to my, to my people. It's as if Arya Kaplan is intuiting a psik in between Elchana and Vyashuva. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, just the last comment. Rick has been strangely silent. I've even been prodding him with text to try to get him to say something. <laughs> I think, but tell, tell me that I'm wrong, that Rivia an Anna. Is really unusual. I don't remember. I'm not an expert. I don't have re re recall like like you and and Rick do. I don't recall a mercha tipcha munach rivia. Maybe they exist, but I don't recall ever. No, it, it doesn't happen. I was happy listening. I was happy listening. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Larry. It's, it's not mercha tipcha, but mapach pashta. The the. I'm sorry, sorry, mapach pashta. It, it's it it doesn't never happen, nor is it common. Right. There are Trump families that um, which is the way that Rick, uh, any, any Trump teacher does it. But Rick does it with a color coded system um, where these these Trumps always come together. 
And sometimes those Trump families are shortened. So the four four family mapach pashtam unach katon. Na 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 na. Sometimes all four appear, and sometimes the third one is missing. Da da na na da da. And sometimes the first one is missing. Da 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 da. And sometimes just the last two. Da 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 da. But when those when those Trump families are shortened, they're rarely interrupted with another Trump, a member of another Trump family that doesn't go with it. So you're right. The 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 in in the ways in which the four member family of mapach pashta munachaton is generally shortened. It's never shortened to just mapach pashta. It has to be resolved musically. So you're right. It's as if someone came in. There was like a, a change, a changing of the of the, of the staff, and the the they, they had composed or written the first mapach pashta, and then when. The next staff came in, they forgot they were in the middle of a Bach Pashta clause, and someone said, let's put a Revi'i here. It is odd. I don't know if it's one in a hundred odd or one in five hundred odd, but it is odd. Um, and we also don't know, of course, is the trup creating meaning or responding to um, conceived of meaning? But you're absolutely right that da 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 does not go. Does not go like you could, the ne- my guess is that the next. 500 times you see Mapach Pashta in the Torah, you would not have a Revi afterwards. Rick, would you agree that that's probably, we're in the numerical realm there? Yes, Rabbi. I always agree with you. And and then there's also the directionality that I've noticed lately. So Moses appearing before Yitro, he's going to bow his head a little bit and say, how you doing, dad? I need to get out. So there's that. All right, great. So um, we successfully spent a full shiur on one verse with no hard vocabulary without even getting to the Rashi, which is why I love this experience so much. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.